Okay, we're going to continue our Sunday sermon sessions in the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, we shall begin in chapter 13, this first day of the week. Chapter 13, the Gospel of John, we shall look at verses 1 through 17. Again, we keep our thoughts with the respect of the context and what is taking place with the ministry of our Lord and Master and the hostility of His opponents and uh, everything that is being witnessed and recorded in this account. And in chapter 13 through chapter 17, the focus of the Messiah, the Christ, will be more so or designated, if you will, to his inner circle, to the 12 apostles. And it is wise for us to understand and respect that interpretation of the scripture for the information that will be delivered to the 12 apostles was directed to the 12 apostles. And there is much for us to learn and find practical applications, certainly. But there are things that were going to be given to the apostles that we do not receive. We learn from, mind you, but we are not the recipients. It was designated strategically so, in spiritual content for the apostles, the 12 chosen vessels that would go forth after the fulfillment of the cross. They would go forth and be governed into all truth and remembrance of their master. And so we will find ourselves in verse 1, chapter 13, and begin and move forward. Verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. We've been seeing, of course, in the gospel, the fulfillment of the ministry and his compassion and that the good news of the kingdom to which he would be soon crowned king is a kingdom that would be for all to have legal citizenry, both Jew and Gentile, no longer but now Christian in his kingdom. And he was speaking a great many times how his hour had not yet come in chapters seen previous or prior. But here now we see the hour is at hand. And he spoke, of course, of this hour also in chapter, uh, I believe, 12. Or was it 12? Yeah, somewhere there, 23. Yeah. And Jesus answered and saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It is time for him to allow himself in obedience to the Father in heaven to give up 
his life for the redemption of mankind so we can be liberated from sin. And sin, scripturally understood and revealed, is lawlessness. All who break the law of God are guilty of living in a lawless life. And one who lives a lawless life is alienated away from God and the heavenly realm in which he uh, has all authority. So through the Christ, we have opportunity to uh, receive forgiveness and be with him. So this hour is coming. The hour is now here. And um, he has information to give his apostles. His hour has come that he would depart. There is a departure. And it's interesting. It says, out of this world. Because there is, of course, another realm of reality after this one. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved those who hated him, he loved his enemies, and he loved those who loved him back. This is the love of the Christ and the teaching and principle of his doctrine, which teaches us, of course, to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies, to turn the other cheek, not to practice revenge or retaliation or hate. Now, the world has all those words upside down. And they've since called good evil and evil good. But when we seek the true objective reality of uh, of the words and their descriptions, we go to the source of truth. Thy word is truth and truth is reality, which of course sets us free from the bondage of myth and superstition and all sorts of pagan ways and pagan beliefs. He is about to depart from this world. It is drawing near now during the supper verse 2 the devil having already put into the heart of judas iscariot the son of simon to betray him to betray him the influence of the devil's the devil's schemes to which he is of course a murderer and liar from the beginning to which a great many of the religious leaders of the day were described as having paternal ancestry to the devil doing his deeds. Now the influence has taken advantage of Judas because Judas had a weakness and his weakness was greed. And because of that weakness, the devil saw opportunity through his influence to have Judas in his free will to activate an action of treachery and betrayal towards a friend, a close friend. And further than that, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who had given him liberty and forgiveness and instruction and hope and family and love and all the things that we yearn for in a sober mind and a controlled thought. Judas had made himself vulnerable to the weakness he had and the corruption of his heart taken over 
by this path to betray Jesus. So Jesus, in verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he understood through obedience to the Father. He understood the path and the fulfillment of the ministry, the prophets, the redemptive plan of salvation for mankind. In verse 4, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. He made himself in what would be culturally understood in the first century, a slave. That was the outside appearance that he was clothing himself with. It would have been custom to reveal himself in such a way to the people as a slave. And we enter into the recorded account where Jesus will wash the feet of his disciples. Even, even at the knowledge of what is going to happen to him, what he is going to allow to happen to him. So then, in verse 5, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, friends, we must recognize the context and the culture of the first century here in these pages. It would have been understood for a woman or child of a foreign uh, 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 culture, uh, the foreigner, uh, the Gentile, to be a slave that would wash feet, but never a male Jew. It was just not, it was not according to their culture to do that. It would not have been seen as appropriate or uh, normal, quote-unquote normal, to the day. Certainly not Jesus, whom through the eyes of his disciples was seen and known to be the Christ, the Messiah, but we understood through various scriptures how his disciples also had a weakness in their hearts. It might not have been greed as per Judas, but they had a weakness for Social status. Who was going to be the greatest among them in the kingdom? Christ, even in the hour in which he is facing death, betrayal from a close friend, abandonment from his disciples, rejection from his siblings, rejection from his own people, and ultimately delivered to the hands of godless men to be nailed to a Roman tree in one of the most historically recorded barbaric executions ever known. Yet still, his mind is to be a lowly servant among them to give them this example, this pattern, this system. And it has spiritual weight and it also has practical application. 
So he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And remember, friends, in this century, the first century, they would have walked with their sandals and there would have been much dirt on the roads in which they traveled. For us today, we are spoiled with the excess of freedom, allowing us the comforts and expediencies of our uh, shoes and socks and things to keep our feet protected and clean. But in the first century, if you had gone through a distance travel and you arrive in a house, it would have been customary and quite hospitable to allow water for one to wash his feet. And it would have normally been done from women or children and more so of a Gentile nature. Yet here, the Messiah has prepared himself to speak the language of clothing, which would reveal himself prepared for servitude as a lowly servant and slave. And now he is preparing the element and uh, 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 prepping the element and things necessary to wash the disciples' feet. And I assure you, they would have felt very awkward, <laughs> very uneasy and strange and uncomfortable completely with this taking place. Like, why is he doing this? This is not okay. And so he is about his business of servitude. And in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to Peter in verse 7, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. There is a spiritual component that is necessary for one to understand. Though Peter can't see it at this moment, blinded by pride, he will certainly soon see it. And we know Peter, as the description of the Holy Spirit's pen reveals, is one who a great many times is quick with an emotion or a what we commonly say a knee-jerk reaction to something instead of taking a breath, thinking about what's happening, and learn. So Jesus answered and said to him, after this first objection, it's an objection, of course, in the manner of a question, but it holds weight in Peter's mind to oppose. See, in his mind, his other brethren of the discipleship were just too cowardly to say something in their discomfort. <laughs> but he's going to say something because he's Peter. So Jesus answers Peter and says to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And of course, Peter has something to say further to Jesus in verse 8. Never shall you wash my feet. And it's interesting to me, because let's remember who's Let's remember the dynamic here. 
Peter is saying you can't do that to a man who rose the dead, who controls the weather, who can cast out demons, who can make whole the lame and cure the sick and see the inner thoughts of humankind in a way that we can't even come close to. Yet Peter somehow here has the authority to question the Christ? Pride will do that to you. Pride will blind you from actually learning and paying attention to what the Christ is saying. And so Jesus, to the second objection now, time for a rebuke. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. This is not an open discussion for your opinion or opposition. This is a teaching of submission and humble practice that you need to learn because if you don't learn it, you'll miss the mark. And so Simon Peter, in his nature, of course, his mind, verse 9, says to Christ, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Peter seems to at times draw a bit too short of the mark or go on ahead too far from it. (laughs) Stick in the middle. Because if you go too far left, you're going to fall in the ditch. If you go too far right, you're going to fall in the ditch. Stay in the middle. So Jesus says to him, verse 10, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. What's he speaking? Of course, he is speaking a spiritual truth that if we pay attention to, we'll understand Judas among them is not clean. Judas among them is corrupt. There is one among us who is corrupt, whose heart is not right. And of course, again, to instruct Peter to let go his pride and learn. You know, in spiritual sense, we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ forgiven of our sins, when as repentant believers confessing him as our Lord and Master qualify to call on his name as we are immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, clothed, buried. Through the waters of baptism, born again out of water and the Spirit, made clean. But yet in our journey, our faith, our walk in Christ, we find ourselves at times missing the mark, falling into our temptations, thinking things we ought not, saying things we ought not, and practicing things we ought not. And so what do we need to do? Well, the second law of pardon is activated in which we confess our sin ask forgiveness, and are renewed. Once your body 
your mind, your soul, washed, forgiven of sins, sometimes your feet get dirty. You need the Christ to wash your sins away. And if you live an active life for the Christ, your sins will be washed away. And that holds great spiritual weight that we must honor and respect and abide by. For he knew, verse 11, speaking of course now of the one who was not clean among them when he spoke in verse 10, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. Verse 11, for he knew the one who was betraying him and so for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Let's truly understand the power of the Christ. He has washed the feet of his betrayer. Knowing his betrayer would betray him and bring him to the cross. It heaps hot coals of judgment upon Judas, but it shows, of course, the loving, compassionate, always willing to serve and forgive nature of the Christ, even to such an enemy. And we can learn a great deal from those things from those who are similar to Judas in our lives. We do not enable them in their evil works. We do not encourage or endorse their evil works. But we do not return to them in vengefulness, vindictiveness, or retaliation. We pray for them. And we are kind to them, even as they hate us and seek to destroy us. So he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. And so in verse 12, when he had washed their feet, and here, from this here, Moving forward from 12 to 17, we have a more practical, physical application to our faith prior from verses 1 through verse 11, a spiritual sense to it. But in verse 12, so when Jesus had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you. Do you understand now what it is that I have practiced towards you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, in verse 14, the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If the most powerful authority walking among us, God on earth, divine, deity among us, can humble himself in obedience to the Father to such a measurement that he is now a slave washing our feet, what example does that instruct us to obey? Very interesting indeed. You ought to wash one another's feet. 
in practical application today that could be kind to another one another to be kind to one another to have kind words to share with one another to help each other benevolently benevolently benevolent benevolent when it is applicable to be there in comfort and instruction we shake hands we give each other hugs we give each other wonderful words of hope and encouragement we help each other with anything and everything we become servants to one another we submit to one another as paul would tell the brethren in ephesus now we today in our culture don't walk around with dirty feet well some do i suppose and we had fun doing that, of course, here, there, and everywhere. But you understand the point. It's not a binding law with its literal account. Some misinterpret the text and seek to bind where there is, not, there is no law to bind and loose where there is not to be any loosing. But this is not a command where we must practice washing each other's feet. But what does it mean in application to our time well it means of course the same we are to be humble towards one another thoughtful towards one another and willing to serve one another that's what that means if i then the lord and the teacher washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet it doesn't matter if i'm sitting here instructing you i still want to open the door for you i still want to help you if you need a drive i still want to help you if you need to move i still want to help you with whatever i can help you with because i am your servant but we see out there in the ocean of religious error how they put a man on a pedestal of sorts who becomes the king the dictator and that is very different than what the Christ came teaching, very different than the Sanhedrin and the Pharisaical ilk that had since exalted themselves above the people to oppress the people and control the people. A very different teaching indeed. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. A kind heart can discern a kind heart. You know, some people are just evil and corrupt in their hearts. It just is what it is. They've chosen that path and they are. But some have a kind and submissive and thoughtful heart. The kind and submissive thoughtful hearts should still be kind, submissive and thoughtful to the one who is the Judas, if you will. Again, not to encourage, endorse, promote, enable, but to practice as the Christ has practiced. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 16, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. An employer is not more important than an employee, though socio-politically he might be in today's 
culture, in all cultures throughout humanity, if you will. But in God's eyes, the employer is equal with the employee. And there is to be a mutual respect and equality there. Now, there is a difference in office. One is an employee and one is the employer. So there is a difference in the office. It's the same within the church. The male gender has an office and task, and the female gender has an office and task. But we are equal. We are equal to serve one another. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Christ never usurped authority over his Father in heaven. He says in verse 17 now, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. If you do them. Don't be hearers only, right? Be doers of the word. We have many people who know and believe, but they don't do anything. If Peter would not have allowed the Christ to wash his feet, would Peter have been in good standing with God? No. Peter knew the word. He heard it. He heard the word of God speak to him saying, I'm going to wash your feet. He says no. Finally, he submits, humbles his heart, and moves forward. And friends, that is the problem that plagues our culture. Pride. Pride. Pride blinds you to seeing the truth. It blinds you from the opportunity to be educated in the Word of God. And it is indeed a sin that will hinder you from entering the eternal realm. Whether one believes that or not is of no difference. It's the truth, and it will happen. We are wise to see how Christ loves us and wants to give us a path through him into eternal life. It's quite, a, uh, it's quite an account recorded. And he's teaching, of course, his 12 apostles to which you and I, of course, read and can apply in principle to our lives today, this humbleness, this removal of pride, this humble submission, this wanting to be thoughtful to one another, wanting to help each other, wanting to be servants of one another. I think that's a beautiful thing. And of course, all of that is activated before God when we are immersed into Christ, where we are washed of our sins. And Acts 22.16 speaks that word, of course, calling on his name. Being immersed into Christ. And that is always available to all who have a free-thinking mind with the intellectual capability in this independent decision to follow the Christ and be immersed into his kingdom. Very good. That'll conclude that session and uh, we will move forward with a song.